Greetings and salutations, creature lovers. This is Mr. Venom welcoming you to episode three of No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts. Before we talk about our movie, let me go ahead and introduce my cohorts. First and foremost, from the Fresh Cut show, Mr. Don and Nelly. How you doing, Donnie? Yeah, what's going good? Uh, just trying to stay out of the desert. It seems to be <laughs> a, a hot spot for dangerous activity these days. It's just hot in general. Yeah, that too. But uh, yeah. All right. Joining us from the main show, No More Room in Hell and Cinema Attack, Derek B. How you doing, Derek? Make me a sergeant. Make me a sergeant. <laughs> oh, man, we're going to have a lot of one-liners for this one. All right, folks. And for the first time ever on episode three, we have our very first guest. Um, I, I had the pleasure of working with this gentleman on a couple of episodes of his newest show, The Dark Parade, had an absolute blast talking about both Psycho and Psycho 2. He is the myth, the man, the Legion podcaster, Bo Ransdell. How you doing, Bo? I'm doing great. I, yeah, th- this is nice because I've worked with all of you recently on my show. So it's <laughs> like, ah, but you're not done with me yet. I, <laughs> I will infect your show as well. Oh, uh, my friend. That's implying that we actually don't want you yeah. to infect us. So. <laughs> yeah, I think your type of infection is uh, quite welcome here, my friend. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy, your, your lips to my girlfriend's ear, you know? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So uh, before we get into the festivities, let's uh, introduce the movie that we're going to talk about this week. As you know, this is a new show and we're kind of hitting a lot of the um, the main players in this subgenre that we call creature features. We've already looked at the Wolfman and the original King Kong. We decided to look at the granddaddy of all 50s sci-fi nuclear monster movies. I mean, the movie that really started a trend of hundreds, if not thousands, of copycats afterwards. It is, of course, 1954's Them, with an exclamation point. So if you say the movie's called Them, you're wrong. It's called Them. Them! (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) All right, so before we get into our feature review this week, um, as this is our first guest on the show, Bo, we're, of course, going to grill you. We kind of have to. Rather than having like a set of questions or anything for you, uh, we decided to just kind of ask you to kind of take us along your journey on creature features. Like where where did your love of this genre start? Um, was it one movie that really did it or was it a series of films that you saw? What are some of your favorites? Maybe what are some of your most underappreciated that you feel people should check out that maybe they haven't? Just go ahead and give us a kind of a whirlwind tour of your love of creature features, my friend. All right. Well, it all started in the womb, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, One of the first movies I ever saw was Alien, ah. which you can... I, I don't know that you can't argue that that's a creature feature of sorts. Uh-huh. And so when I saw that, and I saw that movie when I was like five years old, like way too young to see Alien, but I but I saw it then. And uh-huh. uh, in the theater, no less. I saw that movie in the theaters. Um, and ever since then, and I think I just came out of, of my mom's vagina that way where I was just like, I really love any movie where an animal or creature eats other people. There, there's something about that that I really love. And then as a kid, I gravitated towards those kinds of movies like, you know, alligator and grizzly and 
prophecy and i mean you name a movie in which a an oversized animal eats people and i was there <laughs> and uh and and so that was sort of the wellspring from which my horror love grew uh even though i like all kinds of horror probably my my least favorite flavor of horror is probably slashers just because it it, it doesn't really capture my imagination uh, imagination the way that uh, creature features did and that kind of expanded into like kaiju films and i fell in love with those and yeah i mean it was just it, almost innate that from a very young age I was just all about it. I, if, if you could, like Piranha, Jaws, of course, you know, figures into that and all of the ripoffs of that. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I just, I just adored it. And to this day, I will watch some just god awful movies because there is a big animal what eats other people. And that's, there is still something about that that I dearly love. And I don't. You know, I, like I've tried to explore this psychology uh, in myself a little bit. Like, what what is it about? Is it the fact that it's an external threat and therefore it's something that you can deal with and you can manage and it's not, you know, psychological in nature and that kind of thing? And I I think it's just that I like it, you know. And and them, the movie we're talking about tonight, was a movie I saw really early on uh, in my exploration of these kinds of movies. And so in addition to having a fondness for big animals, eating people, especially if those animals are insects, I, you know, they don't even have to be big, like, you know, savage bees and, and, uh, uh, you know, the swarm and all those movies and tarantula movies and all that stuff. Uh, all, any of those, like, again, it just gets down to if there is an animal or animals eating human beings, then I'm kind of there for it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a sickness. And it, you know, I've talked to my therapist about it and she doesn't <laughs> seem to have any answers. So, you know, I don't know what the hell I'm paying her for. <laughs> yeah. My, my therapist has a bigger issue with slashers. Uh, only because, you know, uh, the, the, of course, the great fear that the viewer then goes and becomes the slasher him or herself. But, yeah, with a creature feature, at least there's no fear of me turning into a nine foot ant and marauding through the Mojave Desert. So, you know, I'm, I, I'm, yeah. never say never, but it, it, oh, sure. it does seem unlikely. Hey, exactly. you guys ever seen Girls Night Out? You know, somebody watches Grizzlies like, I'm going to dress up as a beer and kill somebody. <laughs> Oh, oh my god! I'm not. Now I need to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the the killer dresses as a bear in Girls' Night Out, but you have to see that. I apparently so. That sounds amazing. Like an actual anthropomorphic bear, or like a teddy bear. He's like a mascot bear, but he has like okay. claws. He has claws for weapons. I like it. Yeah, I'm sold. Nice. <laughs> see, there needs to be a Christmas themed killer bear movie called Santa Claus. With it like C L A W S, that feels like. Yeah, I think there is an actual legitimate film called Santa Claus. I was gonna, yeah, because that seems almost too obvious a gag, right? I think there actually is too. Now that I think about it, oh, that's crazy. Yeah, I would just bet money that it's a shot on video Santa slasher. Oh, but saying, <laughs> yeah, saying it like that, I would, I would bet money that there is a legitimate thing called Santa Claus. Mm. Mm. And yeah, if not, we're making it. I know the Santa Jaws. <laughs> Oh, God. So the shark actually wears like a Christmas hat. 
doesn't and fucking that's really. Actually, yeah. hey, that's actually awesome. I love that movie. <laughs> Is it really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah, the dorsal fin has the uh, Santa hat on it. He's got um, broken bulbs for teeth. The entire um, body is wrapped up as Christmas lights, and I think he has jewels for. He has like jewels for eyes or something. I don't remember the exact look, but yeah, he's like completely decorated with like um, Christmas ornaments on him. I think I found out what we're doing in December, guys. We might kind of yeah, we're getting all these great (laughs) concepts. I'm loving it. (laughs) I've never heard of such a thing, and I'm still skeptical. I, I mean, hey, it's a killer like shark that... movie coming from me. Okay, let's just put it. Let's just put it out there. It's, it's an actual thing. <laughs> All yeah. right, fair enough. Valid, valid. Um, man, so, so Bo, um, what are some of uh, what are some of the like the more underappreciated ones that maybe you've seen that you might believe other folks haven't? You know, obviously we've got the big Hollywood creatures, our Godzillas and King Kongs and everything, but. Um, what do you got for like either foreign? I mean, if you want to bring in some, you know, stuff like Matango or whatever, but yeah, like any underappreciated stuff you'd like to bring up. Yeah. Matango is really good. I, (laughs) one, one that I think doesn't get its due is squirm, which, which is this really great, like Southern Gothic kind of film that also happens to be about worms eating people. And uh, it's one of those that, like, I don't think a lot of people have actually sat down to watch. And it's this weird combination of Killer Worms and Tennessee Williams. And it's (laughs) really interesting. I really like that movie a lot. Um, I think it it, and it's kind of hard to get your hands on these days. But the original Alligator uh, Mm. with Robert Forster is a legit good movie. And um, not just because there's an alligator eating people, although that's pretty rad, too. And <laughs> and not just because it's a very obvious Jaws ripoff right down to the music. But um, it actually has some pretty good social commentary, and it's legitimately funny. And a lot of people don't realize that it was written by John Sayles, who did a lot of great dramas like Return of the Sakaka 7 and Madawan. Lone Star, yeah. Lone Star. Yeah, he's a great writer. And he also happened to write, he wrote Piranha as well. He, to, to make ends meet when he was writing his dramas, he would kind of slum it and do these creature features. And they were great. You know, they're like very funny and very clever. And, uh, so alligator is terrific. If you've never seen it. Um, and I, yeah, I'm and kingdom of the spiders is the other one. Uh, Man, I love Kingdom of the Spiders. Uh, It is a great William Shatner performance, as are they all, if you ask me. Um, But yeah, and it has one of the great matte paintings of all time for the last shot. That final shot, yeah. Yeah, it's terrific. So yeah, if you haven't seen those. And the other one I would say is the one we're going to talk about tonight, which is them, which I think a lot of people haven't seen just because it's, you know, black and white movie from the fifties and what that kind of, mm-hmm. uh, it, it sort of implies in terms of how the movie operates, but it's like, no man, like them kind of rocks. Uh, to go back to squirm. I don't know. 
I've seen Squirm, but I've only seen the Mystery Science Theater version, unfortunately, which, by the way, is absolutely hysterical. So I, I, I'm still OK with seeing it that way. But I, I've yet to see it without the riffs. But I do see the appeal to it, despite its kind of southern hokiness in some of the scenes. It, there is a legitimate charm to it. And hey, worms are kind of gross in general. They don't they don't necessarily have to be, you know, irradiated, you know, carnivores or meat eaters, whatever, to be scary. They're just playing gross in general. So yeah, totally agree with Jan Squirm. Great yeah. movie. Didn't that get a didn't that get a release recently, Derek? It had a it had a Scream Factory release. It's out of print now though. Oh, okay. So it wasn't that recent. <laughs> Too bad. Yeah, and uh I actually have the arrow video uh release of that movie. Squirm's one of those movies I watched when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and yeah, I never like I used to play with worms all the time, like go, <laughs> yeah, go fish and shit. But then after I watched that movie, I'm like, yeah, I'm not touching worms ever again. <laughs> like that last thing when they go in that house, I'm like, I'm never going in that house. I would fucking fuck that house. Yeah, exactly. Fuck it. Yeah, that movie fucking terrified the shit out of me. Uh, Jeff yeah. Lieberman's first movie, I should add, too. Uh, oh, nice. Very cool. Yeah. And then, my friends, Kingdom of the Sky, uh, Kingdom of the Spiders. Holy shit, that movie is so underrated. I, that movie really speaks to me because it's so grounded in reality. You know, the, these spiders aren't mutated. They're not. They're acting differently because, you know, for the most part, tarantulas don't actually have hives like that where they work together. So personality-wise, they're acting a little different. But you know what I mean. They're not you know, giant, they're not ex- exceptionally fast or whatever. It, it's just, um, it's, it's like a zombie movie. It's a horde film, you know? I mean, the, the yeah. town is just getting overrun by these tarantulas, which, by the way, tarantulas can't uh, spin webs, but, you know, we'll, we'll forget about that for the sake of this movie. Um, but, yeah, just the, the, the fear that that movie instills, I mean, if you have any sort of arachnophobia, that movie is just something that you can't watch. I mean, tarantulas are creepy if you don't have arachnophobia. I, I could imagine, you know, looking at an entire movie of a town being taken over by thousands of these things. And they are aggressive, mind you. I mean, they're, they're not passive in any way, shape, or form in this film. And Shatner, yeah, Shatner is Shatner. I mean, you either like Shatner or you don't. And for the most part, I, you know, I love the man. So, yeah, especially the scenes later on when he's actually covered with spiders and the way he's kind of I got his arms lifted almost like he's dancing the zombie, but it just just trying to swing around and getting all the spiders off him. Just yeah. great, great acting on his part. I mean, you know, like I said, it's Shatter. You love him or you hate him. But yeah. And then that final shot, like you said, Bo, holy shit legitimately one of the best mat shots to end the film ever. I mean, and, and just terrifying too. And to think that this is only the start. Ultimately, this movie is just the opening chapter of what is probably going to be a much larger story. Obviously we may never see another film in, in, you know, the, the franchise, but I'm saying just when you sit down and think about it, that this one town got taken over in what the span of a week or two, and that shit's just going to spread out. Yeah, that's some that's some nice, almost Lovecraftian horror, cosmic horror. Let's go with that. Except in this case, the horror is known. It's not an unknown, you know, antagonist or whatever. But yeah, uh, oof, terrifying. I don't yeah. have arachnophobia, but they still I still respect the shit out of them. Like, I don't kill them. You know, when I find one in the house, I take it right outside. Um, ultimately I know, you know, every spider in the world isn't out to get me, so I'm not out to get them either. Blah, blah, blah. Ah, how do we, how do we get to arachnophobia? 
Anyway, uh, Kingdom of also, yeah, arachnophobia also pretty good. Oh, and also a great film in its own right. Absolutely, I mean that Rock one's got roll. a great comedy comedy tinge to it, which is you know uh, John Goodman just awesome performance. Another great performance from him. But yeah, oh man, I I really do like spider films and insect films in general. Like, like Boat said, I like the ones where they're gigantic and mutated, but I also appreciate the ones where they're not necessarily. Uh, you know, large or mutated, but you're just kind of overrun with them. A lot like Squirm as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, great choices, Bo. Absolutely. So before we move on, I'm going to go ahead and play the trailer for our feature film this evening. Of course, that is 1954's Them, directed by Gordon Douglas, written by Ted Sherman, Russell Hughes and George Worthing Yates, starring James Whitmore, Edmund Gwen and Joan Weldon. So after the trailer, we'll be right back to talk. And the thing. Don't forget about the thing. The thing in this movie. <laughs> Them! 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 <laughs> so good. I tell you, gentlemen, science has agreed that unless something is done and done quickly, man as the dominant species of life on Earth will be extinct within a year. I repeat, stay in your homes. Your personal safety, the safety of the entire city, depends upon your full cooperation with the military authorities. Yes, cities, nations, even civilization itself, threatened with annihilation because in one moment of history-making violence, nature, mad, rampant, wrought its most awesome creation. For born in that swirling inferno of radioactive dust were things so horrible so terrifying, so hideous. There is no word to describe them. We may be witnesses to a biblical prophecy come true, and thus will be destruction and darkness come up in creation, and the beast shall reign over the earth. Yes, the earth, the skies above and the seas below infested by swarms of nightmare creatures, crueler, deadlier than the armored giants of prehistoric eras. Here is a wild, headlong flight into terror as the desert erupts with the grim battle for survival. Here is a fear-frenzied moment of suspense as mankind totters before a thing that multiplies faster than it can be killed. Here is a desperate plunge into the black depths of the earth where human courage challenges the brute force, the slashing jaws, the poison fangs that guard the subterranean nest where the beast spawns its terrible progeny. To all units, to all units, condition red, grain 267 is the target area. Repeat, condition red, grain 267 is the target area. We can't take a chance. It might poison the whole city. 
folks, we're back. That was, of course, the trailer for them. And I mean, what can we say about this movie? We've we've already kind of alluded to how much a lot of us really like this movie. I spoke earlier about how this really started the phenomenon of, you know, even though this was the same year of the original Godzilla, them is kind of credited as being one of the first, you know, radioactive, at least insects, whereas obviously Godzilla is a reptile. It just started this whole trend of the 50s and early 60s, you know, the B-movie drive-in creature features, you know, the attack of the giant leeches and, you know, the, the creeping terror and things like that. So I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to our guest as this was his selection for the for this week. And I just want to ask Bo, Bo, why don't you go ahead and give me your general thoughts on them? Yeah, I so, yes, it's a movie about giant ants. And that sounds really schlocky on its surface. But the thing that them gets right that a lot of other movies emulate but doesn't quite get the recipe right is like all the ingredients are there, but like them gets all the proportions correct. Where it starts with the like, oh, there's some weird shit going on in this desert community. And I like the fact that when uh, the the science people show up. They're like, all right, we're not telling you what's going on because we might be wrong about this, and if we're wrong, we're gonna sound crazy. <laughs> so we're just gonna keep that under our hat and and pray that we're wrong. And so by the time it gets around to like, oh yes, this is in fact a movie about giant ants, it uses the the science of ant behavior, I think, in a really clever way. Where it's like, oh, okay, well, here's how normal ants behave, so here's how the big ones are going to behave, and here's what we have to worry about. The the big thing is the spread. Like, you know, it's bad that your town is is all ate up by giant ants, <laughs> but what we're really worried about is them getting out, because if that happens, we're all fucked. And uh, also, there is a liberal use of flamethrowers in this movie, and if you want to win my heart in any film, include at least one flamethrower. And this has like a million. <laughs> like yeah, everybody's got a flamethrower. Easily one of Beavis and Butthead's favorite movies. Yeah. <laughs> fire, fire. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's terrific. And, and also, again, for it being a 50s kind of movie, it doesn't do the Burt I. Gordon thing of what well, we're just going to do composite shots of mm-hmm. grasshoppers or whatever, like, you know, beginning of the end and superimpose that over the scene of people talking and whatnot. They actually made uh, a handful of these giant ant puppets, which look pretty good. And yeah. the, the sound that they make is really creepy. Mm-hmm. And, and like, it gets all that stuff right. And it takes the subject matter seriously and it doesn't even over moralize really like they're they're you know it, it's certainly about the idea of like well if we screw around with nuclear power this could result in giant ants or just whatever like like Gajira is the same way of mm-hmm. you know if we keep screwing around with this like there is there is a definite downside to the idea that man can sort of control things as fundamental as the atom itself, but. Yeah. It, but it doesn't ever get didactic about any of that. It, it, I mean, it's there, but it's not like 
in I, I keep thinking of beginning of the end because <laughs> speaking of mystery science theater, there's a great episode <laughs> of that where uh, when Peter Graves at the end of the movie gives this big speech about how man has to be careful because, you know, we're treading on on sort of sacred ground and so forth. And they cut to all of like everybody on the satellite of love and the mads and everything. <laughs> and they're all just like eating soup and listening to this and just won't <laughs> speak. And they're just transfixed by this speech that he's giving. And, uh, it's very funny, but that, that doesn't really happen in them. You know, there's not a character that, that kind of gives this big grandstanding speech. There are little comments throughout the movie about like, you know, this is kind of, this is kind of what we signed up for when we split the atom. You know, we, we signed up for, well, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but something probably, uh, in just in this case, it's giant ants. And, you know, like, uh, there are little girls being terrorized and <laughs> heroes in the movie getting chomped in the guts by ants. And I just love it. I just love this movie. It does everything <laughs> I love in a film where it's about something, but it, that, the thing that it is about takes a backseat to just being a good horror movie about what if there were giant ants. And it takes it seriously enough that it doesn't ever get silly about it, you know. Yeah, no one really likes being bludgeoned with a with a message from a movie. Um, when it when it's done more subtle, uh, it's definitely much more effective. You know, I mean, we didn't need a big speech about how you know a nuclear war was going to destroy humanity or anything like that at the end of this film. Even though there is a quick line about the atomic age. I think it's more poignant than fear mongering. So, so it definitely works. I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Just the fact that the message isn't just out front in your face. What is out front and in your face is the quality film that these uh, people put together for us back in the fifties. So uh, let's go ahead and move on to Don. Don, tell me what you think of them. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I think Bo hit a lot of the right notes. Um, uh, for me, I, I think it's just the fact that, like he said, the ants attack are, t are treated seriously to where it, it feels not only natural, but it feels like genuinely you need to stop these things. And it doesn't come off as, you know, they're not treated like they're just a can't be joke. They're treated as these actual dangerous pests that need to be dealt with as soon as possible. And, you know, they get the they get the science right close enough to where it feels like a natural progression from, you know, the, nat the you know, the normal size ants that you'd step on every day to these huge, I think they said, what was it like 10 or 12 feet tall or something like that? Like they're obviously bigger than a human being, but I don't remember if they actually named off like how tall they are. Cause it, they've got to be at least like nine. Us, yeah. They didn't give us height. They said nine to 12 feet long. That was all they gave yeah. us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is that they gave off, I know that they gave off some kind of a dimension, but I couldn't be sure what the actual thing was. But mm -hmm. yeah, if you're having if you have like a t 10 to 12 foot ant running around, that's bad enough. Now you've got an actual colony of these things that numbers into the thousands. Now you've got something serious going on and it it treats it seriously enough. Nobody is winking at the camera. Everybody's on, you know, like red alert to stop these things. And I think that makes the confrontations fun. I think it makes the action fun. And 
like Bo said, it's just an enormously entertaining film because you add, you know, the social commentary on top of that to the point where it's not something that's beaten over your head. It's something that it's just a fun little side dish in this fun sampler that, you know, you have all these other ingredients on top of it. You can enjoy it just for the monster attacks. You can enjoy it for the technical qualities on display. You can enjoy it for the social commentary and the messaging that it does. But when you put everything together, it works incredibly well, and it remains as enjoyable as it is because of that, I think. Mm, Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Derek, why don't you come on in, buddy? Okay. Them. Yeah, I've I've loved this movie ever since I've seen it as a little kid. Uh, You know what makes this movie so good is the cast. Uh, I think it has, like, the perfect amount of cast and characters that blend well together and a lot of the times with 50 movies, they don't blend well together because they kind of go by formula after a while, you know, especially some of the later ones like the deadly mantis or like things like that. Uh, the thing I like about, uh, them a lot is even like the female character is powerful in this movie. I love, uh, uh-huh. uh, the, the other Dr. Midford in this Patricia. movie play. Yeah, Patricia, played by Joan Wilden. Mm-hmm. I love that she's a strong character because a lot of the times, especially like like I said, the Deadly Mantis, they're usually like the love interest of like another character, and they're like, "Oh, you're a woman, you gotta do women things," and they try to do that in this movie, but she's like, "Fuck that shit, I'm a scientist too, I'm going down there," you know. I love that scene because it shows the progression of how because this is one of the first movies to do that, but then later on, it kind of got subsetted down to the stereotypes, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you know, I like that they do have some, like, grips of, like, the reality of how these ants are going to be a unstoppable force if we don't do something. And it's delivered by fucking Santa Claus, Edmund Gwynn, uh, <laughs> Academy Award winner himself, uh, uh, if you don't know why I called him Santa Claus, he played Santa Claus. <laughs> yes, but uh, that's another story Famously for another show. Played, played <laughs> yeah, uh, and and this movie has some shocks and scares in it. That like the first time I seen this movie, I was shocked when James Whitmore. I know we're getting a little too far into it, but when James Whitmore goes, I'm like, because mm-hmm. that was the first like movie I ever seen. Like uh, a guy we follow from the beginning ends up not making it at the end of like, what? Huh. It was kind of crazy in that sense. And you know, you got the thing, James Arness in this movie. Oh yeah. Uh, is a, the FBI dude. And you get little side characters too, like Fess Parker as the crazy Alan, Mr. Crotty in the mental institution, <laughs> uh, Davy Crockett himself. Pretty great. You get, uh, I don't know who actually plays the old drunk dude, but that guy's hilarious. And the cream of the crop, you get a little, cameo by a very very young Leonard Nimoy in this movie yeah. and my felt my inner Trekkie like smiles every time when I see him <laughs> yeah but did then anybody, was a cl- oh go ahead I was gonna say did anybody notice the other very tiny cameo in the movie there's actually two Leonard Nimoy is probably the bigger of the two but there is one more uh character actor buried back there I don't believe he has a line but uh, within, I'd say, 10 years, uh, the actor would be a household name because of his role on Bewitched. Yes, Dick York. Dick York has oh. a, also has a cameo in this. Really? As, 
Yeah, I could have sworn that the, I could have sworn that there was a big thing with this because two of the actors later went on to Star Trek, Leonard Nimoy, and uh, there was another guy that they were on Star Trek together. That this was one of the. What I'm saying is that it was famous because the two of them had roles together in this one, and then they met up again in Star Trek. Oh, I'm sure you're correct. But, you know, uh, going from what I found, Dick York does have a role in this, an an uncredited role, just like Leonard Nimoy's role, I believe, is uncredited. But, yeah, uh, you know, uh, like I said, no lines, just kind of there in the background. He's a good 10, 12 years away from being married to Samantha on Bewitched. So, yeah. Uh, not as big a name at this time, but yeah, I, I, I always find it uh, entertaining to see these bigger names that do cameos early on. Always really cool. Go ahead, Derek. I'm sorry. No, 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 that's fine. And yeah, but overall, this the ride. You know, you know what this movie kind of reminded me of because I actually seen the other movie. The beginning of this movie kind of reminds me of the original Rodan, where these murders are not described. They don't know what's causing these murders. They kind of blaming this other dude for him, you know, that doesn't happen in this movie, but it kind of, but then it turns into an insect movie, and Rodan's kind of the progression of that. What's worse than an insect? <laughs> you know? What What if there were a big-ass bird? Yeah, that, and the things that were killing all your friends were its food, you know, that's the real horror, you know? But, you know, that's like the progression of what would be worse than them, you know? Dude, the, the one one of the other things that I really really dig, um, you know, just in, in terms of how it takes the the ant stuff seriously, and and also kind of creepy is when they finally find the nest out in the desert and they're like, hey, we gotta get down there and and uh, here's how we're gonna do it is we're gonna do it in the, in the hottest part of the day when they're all gonna be underground, and then we're gonna throw a bunch of thermite in there to make it even hotter. But when they find the nest, there is an ant carrying a, a fucking rib cage <laughs> out of the nest, which I think is really cool. And it also very creepy. And anyway, I it, just, that visual is the whole reason I love this movie. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty great. Exactly. Um, I mean, for me, I can't disagree with anything that's been said. This movie, this episode is going to be a love fest. I'm making it four out of four. This movie is spectacular. And I'm not even going to say for 1954. This is a great movie in 2021. Obviously, it's not Jurassic Park or some of the modern Marvel, um, not Marvel, the company, Marvelous, let's say, uh, creature features that we're getting over the last, you know, 20, 30 years. But this movie is great. It's, It's got wonderful storytelling. Great, great performances. I love this score, uh, the score from uh, Bronislaw Caper, who uh, also won an Oscar for doing the score for Mutiny on the Bounty. And this score is very underappreciated. I really uh, last night watching this for like, what, the third time in the last week and a half. I just could not get over how well this score works, how wonderfully he's able to set a tone, set the mood and really just set the the fear factor. I mean, the the sound effect of the uh, of the ants is probably the most effective thing uh, sound design in here for you know, garnering fear, but this score is easily second. Just great little score that I wanted to point out. But the other thing I really wanted to point out about this movie that I really, really like is its pacing. 
Um, the, a lot of people, you know, tend to look at 1950s and 60s uh, creature features and say that maybe the pacing is a little slow. Or uh, obviously the biggest complaint with a kaiju movie is that, you know, the human characters aren't interesting and that that part of the story isn't very interesting. But here we get a legitimately interesting story with legitimately likable characters. Like there's not one asshole in this bunch. There's not one skeptic who's yeah. trying to convince people that they're, you know, that they're dreaming or that it's mass psychosis or mass hypnosis, whatever you want to go with. Everyone is very like understanding of what could potentially happen. I mean, at this point, they're only nine years away from that first atomic bomb test. So, it seems very conceivable that nine years later, we suddenly have giant monsters in the Mojave Desert. And it seems like everyone, including all the people in the government meeting, that meeting with all the government officials, even they were like very accepting of it. So I thought that was just for a 1954 movie. That's just quite refreshing to me, because, of course, you know, we are all part of this horror genre where people where one character doesn't believe another character because of something, you know, that they're claiming happened or that they saw or whatever. So I, I just really like that. But back to the pacing, though, I really liked how they expand the mystery. Now, obviously, in this day and age, anybody watching them knows it's going to be a giant ant movie. I mean, there's not much to not. You can't really get around it, I guess. But the way that they start off the movie with the little girl and she's basically catatonic, not speaking, just kind of there existing. It's the first clue of a great mystery, you know, about to start to get unfolded. And then the next major scene would be the attack on the general store. And when they find that shotgun broken in half, that's a what the fuck moment, I'm sure. Because it's like, what could possibly break a 12 gauge shotgun in half like it was a twig? Um, (laughs) So, again, I mean, but before you even see the ants, the mystery is there. The fear is there. Uh, just beautiful filmmaking by everyone involved here. Um, I will admit that the pacing kind of slows down a little bit after the the two queens escape the Mojave Desert. Like we we almost get two climaxes in this movie or two finales because we get a you know we get a great battle in the in the nest in the Mojave Desert, which then yields two queen uh, larvae escaping and leaving, going off to more. Uh, populated areas and then we get our second finale in the city of los angeles that down there in the waterways that we've seen in countless movies before you know greece and you know uh, alligator alligator Alligator, exactly yeah Yeah. Um, so yeah i mean even though the pacing slows down a little bit after the second act i've always been in love with this pacing It, it gives me exactly what i need and even on the umpteenth watch now it's still entertaining i'm never bored i'm never like waiting for a scene to end like it doesn't really feel like there's a whole lot of throwaway scenes in this movie it's only 92 minutes long it's a quick watch and they don't really waste a lot of time, you know. If, like I said, if anything, you can maybe say they waste a little time once they get to L.A. because there's probably a good 15-minute stretch where we don't see any ants at all. We don't hear them. We don't see them. It's basically just a lot of planning with the military, the local police, um, you know, our doctors, everything else. So uh, that complaint I'm, you know, kind of cognizant of. But for me, like I said, I, I think this pacing and this score are two things that I really wanted to shine a light on. But, um, yeah, I guess we can get more into story elements, too. Um I think to your point, though, about that, that sort of act two or especially the back end of act two, it yep. almost becomes a little bit of a mystery 
where it's like, okay, we know this threat is out there. We just don't know where it is. Yeah. And, and so they're kind of chasing down, you know, all of these, like, that's where we get the scene with the drunk who may or may not have seen something. And we get, uh, Davy Crockett being like, Hey man, I like, I know this sounds crazy, but I've been flying planes for a long time and I'm, here's what I saw. It was a UFO and uh, you know, all of that stuff. So I, I don't, I, I don't think you're wrong that it slows down a little bit, but I think it's kind of got a nice, uh, like a sort of a descent after mm-hmm. the big crescendo of like, we're going to descend into this nest and kill a bunch of ants there. And then we're going to pull back for a second and just let the, the story slow down so that we can ramp back up for the finale. This big, yeah. The, the finale in the sewers. Um, yeah, I think it like, it totally works for me. I really, really like that. Yeah. yeah. I remember being a little upset about that stuff when I, I first watched it, I thought that was kind of a drag, just, you know, endless military scene after endless military scene, knowing what we already know that, you know, it's ants, we've got to stop them. But yeah, um, I, I think over time that kind of just, over, you know, either because the pacing works or, you know, you're just used to it based on the other genre stuff, like, okay, that's what we're supposed to get is these kinds of scenes. You know, it's not as bothersome maybe like on the fifth or sixth rewatch, you don't really notice it that much, but I, I do remember being a little kind of put off by it the first time I saw it. it's like yeah we get it we know that it's you know the queens is still out there we saw it escape but yeah uh, I I think recent rewatches do it a favor more than anything yeah yeah after rewatching the swarm recently I have no problems with them <laughs> oh no kidding <laughs> yeah the the swarm will the three hour test your patience. yeah yeah the three hour cut too <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, where do we go from here, gentlemen? I mean, we've talked about performances. We've talked about effects. For those who don't know, of course, the uh, world-famous Dick Smith did the effects for this. And what some people don't know is he only created three giant ants for this movie. So all the giant ants that we see are the, in the movie are just the same three, just kind of doctored up differently. Obviously, the females at the end of the movie have wings on them so that, you know, they look a little bit different. But, yeah, just three of them. Apparently, that was all uh, that the budget really afforded them, even though this is a Warner Brothers movie. Um, This is something that Warner Brothers didn't really want to do. For those who don't know, the story is that Warner Brothers optioned this script, but then after a while decided they didn't think it was going to be a hit. They kind of were just a little down on it and they tried to sell it. They were going to sell it to 20th century Fox, but, and they were fully prepared to have to haggle and drop the price, you know, for the script and everything else. But after somebody at 20, 20th century Fox read the script, they were ultra excited about it. They actually wanted to give Warner brothers pretty much whatever they wanted for the script. Uh, Warner brothers then decided, well, wait a minute that why <laughs> They they want to make this movie that badly? Maybe we should hold on to it. And that's exactly what they did. They ended up not selling the script, keeping it for themselves, giving it to the director, uh, who was it, Gordon Douglas. Yep. And the rest is history. They were able to put this thing together. I believe it was a 60-day shoot. Uh, like I said, three um, 
three uh, giant ants were created. If anyone is interested, the giant ants were actually purple and green in color. Obviously, I, I don't know if there's any actual color shots like from the, the from behind the scenes or whatever out there. But I, I had just read this that for the most part, they were purple with like some green splotches on them. So kind of interesting yeah, looking well, giant uh, ants. <laughs> well, there is uh, one other bit there with all that was um, because yeah. of all of the um, production haggling, they had, they had to end up um, slashing the budget because this was supposed to have been a color film. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. Anybody who sees this, they see the title card with them in bright red letters with a blue background shooting into the screen almost like it was 3D. Well, the story behind that is this movie was supposed to be both in color and 3D. Um, and obviously, as a horror fan, I am extremely happy they did not do this in 3D because it just it. it potentially could have turned into a novelty and might not have become the classic that it is today. But yeah, as Don mentioned, because of budgetary restraints, they scrapped the color, they scrapped the 3D, but at the last minute, they ended up uh, keeping the title card, which, believe it or not, did not play in theaters. Uh, Apparently, because the one thing was in color, the title card, they would have had to have used color projectors, something along those lines, if I remember correctly, or they had a different lens, maybe different lens on the projector. They decided it wasn't worth the extra money just for the title. So if you saw it in theaters in 1954, you saw the black and white title. card. If you've owned it any time since the 19, uh, I want to say 91 or 92 laser disc release, you've gotten the full color blue and red or red and blue title card as it was intended to be. So, yeah. And honestly, it's so striking. I mean, you know, when you pop it in, you know, you're about to watch a black and white movie. You see, you know, the the credits kind of start to roll and then bam, big red letters, you know, Uh, just very effective to me. Uh, it, It brings a smile to my face. Every time I see that this is a movie from 1954. So, of course, there's going to be some playful sexism in the film. I got to bring it up just because, you know, it could bother some people. Nothing too egregious by any stretch. I mean, I I know you get James Arness's character kind of make a comment about, you know, wanting to get closer to Dr. Medford or something like that or wanting her to examine him or something along those lines. Oh, yeah. You know, obviously something something you wouldn't say today, but something that was considered kind of playful back then. Or isn't there one also where it's a pad for Patricia? They think yeah. that, yeah, like they're surprised it's Patricia, not Pat. When oh, she right. Never shows up. Yeah. 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 yeah I remember right. catching that. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, hello, legs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, we'll forgive James Arness. I mean, he gave us 20 plus seasons of uh, Gunsmoke. So I'm OK with that. <laughs> and here's um, the thing. And he is the he is the walking turnip that we know is the thing. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So and if you don't know what I mean by walking turnip, it means you haven't watched the thing from another world. So do your homework. Go watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Actually, fucking funny, because uh, Bo actually mentioned this movie earlier. I think one of you guys did beginning of the end. His yeah. brother is Peter. Yeah. His brother is Peter Graves and Peter Graves was in beginning of the end. <laughs> James Arness's brother. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Very cool. Yeah, um, I think he dropped the stage name because um, he didn't want to be credited under that. But yeah, he was actually, um, yeah, he's uh, Jess Arness's brother. Wow, that's very cool. Oh, I learned something today. I like that. Awesome. And, and, and you know what I just found out reading some trivia? The, the fucking, uh, you know, the old dude that, make me a sergeant. <laughs> yeah. 
He was in the blob. He's the 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 old man that gets taken by the blob in the original blob. Wow, he must have been like the crazy Ralph of the fifties. <laughs> which, which I would be very down to be. I, I, that's a great title. I don't care. If, if you're only known as the crazy harbinger from horror movies, I, I'd say that's a successful life. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I like the introduction of white phosphorus in this, you know, when they yeah. bomb outside of the hole. I mean, if, if anybody... I, I've done some research. Holy shit, dude. White phosphorus is one of the scariest fucking things on the planet. It melts bones. Yeah. It literally will melt a human body down to ash, um, which is absolutely terrifying to think that they're. That, and, and what's funny is that in the movie, right after they spray, they shoot the uh, the mortars filled with the white phosphorus. He, a couple of the scientists actually walk up to the hole while it's still burning. Again, you know, suspension of disbelief. We'll let it go. We know it can't happen, but because I mean, it literally brings the surface temperature to like over three hundred degrees or something. Um, and like I said, if you're if the human body is hit directly with it, there is nothing left. It's gone forever. You're you're a shadow. So yeah, I, I thought that was kind of interesting, and the fact that they actually, you know, called it by its name, you know, more just real world um, references that you know I'm, I'm always into. Yeah, I like I like the use of that thermone acid too that the ants use to, you know, it's yes. actually that's especially when you know uh, when they, they wake up that the little girl in the the hospital that With the smell s- yep. Yeah, this scene is fucking so iconic and great. Every time, like the first time I seen this movie, I was like, "She's gonna wait. What's gonna happen?" And then she wakes up, and you're like, "Holy shit!" She's I yeah, like, I I love like I did it, you know, as a gag. But that scream of you know the the title of the movie, them that like she just loses her mind, and you know the horror of that. Like she saw her parents murdered by these giant ants. And smelled this formic acid, and that like that's why she's so freaked out. I just oh, I love that so much. <laughs> and then after that white white phosphorus attack, when they first go into the hive in the desert, I don't know about anybody else, but for some reason, the first couple of times that I watched that this movie, that scene when they're walking around after they bomb it with the gas and there's all the dead ants around, I found that to be incredibly grim to me. Like, yeah. the, you know, because it's like, yeah, they're giant monsters, but ultimately it's not like they got together and decided, OK, we're going to take out humanity. We're going to do it town by town. No, they're just creatures doing what they do. They they probably don't even realize that they've become giant. They're just like, wow, how did all these people become so small? Shit, I'm going to eat them. You know, so but that scene, man, as they're walking around there, the first few times I watched this movie, it brought me really down, even though yeah. they are the antagonists of the film, seeing all their dead bodies just strewn through the, the caves and, you know, all, all the um openings in there i yeah i found that to be really grim and and some of the soldiers have like smiles on their faces and they're joking around and it's like ah do you guys do this when you go through a war zone of dead people too because holy shit i maybe you know maybe i'm putting too much stock in it and you know maybe when i saw the ants i saw human antagonists you know and maybe just kind of had some weird correlation there i don't know all i know is that scene just comes off as very grim to me well, the best of these movies, actually, you, you do feel sympathy for the creatures because they are animals. Yeah, they are just you're, you're you're right. They are just doing what 
they normally do. It's just they're bigger than they usually are. That's becoming a threat to humanity. And so that's why they have to be taken out because if they get overrun, then they'll overrun all of us, you know? So oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, uh, the motivation of humans wanting to get rid of the creatures, you know, I'm not going to argue it ultimately, but I mean, I, I think that's going to be a common theme for her. 99% of the episodes that we do here is just the creature is misunderstood. He doesn't know what is going on. I mean, you know, famously, I think about Cloverfield, how the Clover monster, I mean, Clover was only a baby. So it's not like he was marauding through the city because he wanted to be a dick. He was scared. He was terrified. He was trying to find safe space or, you know, uh, the, maybe his mother. I don't know. The point is, is 99% of these creature features, yeah. I mean, the creature is going to be sympathetic. So get used to that, folks, listening to this show. Yeah, <laughs> give me some we are, jerkers. Yeah, we're going to sympathize with the creatures a lot on this show because, yes, they are dangerous. Yes, they are deadly. They're marauding. Uh, they need to be stopped. But at the same time, because they're not malicious, I, I I still have my little bit of sympathy for them, if you will. So, yeah. And, and you know, even though ants, I mean, you know, ants aren't exactly like a giant ape because, you know, people like apes, gorillas, you know, uh, simians of whatever kind. You know, they're furry. They're kind of cute. Even when they're big, they're just kind of cool looking. Ants isn't exactly a creature that people gravitate towards when they talk hey, about, hey you know, man. favorite animal or whatever. So, hey, man, what's you're up? Talking, you're talking to the guy who fucking cried to honey. I shrunk the kids and the ant died. I knew oh. that was coming. I knew. Uh-huh. I, Why I knew did you have to bring that up? up? Now I feel like a heel. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm I mean... not saying anything. <laughs> I'm not touching. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, so, and I think the other thing that I think is really interesting is that when you hear like the the scientists of this movie, you know, sort of talking about these creatures, it's not like it isn't just. It, yes, we have to stop these things, but it's not malicious. It's just like, yeah, I mean, if we don't, we're fucked. But also, like, we kind of did this. So I, I think there is a little bit of uh, of balance in terms of how the movie approaches the villains, you know, that they're not. I, I, I think that's in the movie. I don't think they're entirely monstrous. Yeah. 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 I mean, that, the best creature features, you know, will at least bring that up at least once in the film, that these aren't malicious monsters who are, you know, it's not an, a planned, organized attack that they want to take out humanity. I'm not saying that never happens. Um, you could make the argument for eight-legged freaks because those things are smart as hell and they planned yeah. and everything. But, you know, again, uh, discussion for another show. But yeah, like I said, uh, the, the fact that these creatures are always just confused and lost and honestly scared. I mean, a lot, I, I believe that these creatures are just as scared as we are. We're the ones that are shooting missiles and bullets and everything else at it, uh, but they're the ones that are just terrified and don't even understand what is going on. Why are these little creatures attacking me? What did I do? You know, blah, blah, blah. So I, I can see that being a common theme moving forward. Yeah. Anybody want to guess what the cigarette budget on this movie must have been? $10 billion. <laughs> I, uh, I, do I have enough time left? <laughs> I don't think we have enough time left. We might have to send I it noticed that. Uh, it, to it, finish the calculation. It's like, it's, it's, it's like that fucking scene in uh, Belly Hills. Uh, where the fuck did you find a truck full of cigarettes anyways? <laughs> I can't get over how almost everyone is smoking in every interior scene. I noticed this that. This is, the fir- this is the first time I noticed that. It's like, uh, <laughs> did one of these guys drop dead from lung cancer during the film? <laughs> 
I mean, the scene where they're in Washington and they're talking to all of the generals, literally, I count it, literally every man in that room, including, other than the doctor, Dr. Medford, for obvious reasons, isn't smoking, but literally every other person in that room has a lit <laughs> cigarette in yeah. their hand. I'm like, and holy shit. I think if you counted, there's like five or six per ashtray, and there's like five or six ashtrays on there. I believe it's it, like, yeah. Yeah. It, and everybody's yeah, just like, Pat, I mean, you need like a cigarette? Really yeah. Pat, like, cigarette. This is the first time I noticed that, that it was strikingly obvious how there was like just this huge cloud of smoke just hanging over like five feet above everybody's head. Exactly. <laughs> this is the first time I, I, I ever noticed it, and it's like, where the hell mm-hmm. – I'd never seen that before because I, I really I made a pointed effort and I noticed it this time that it yeah where you're talking about there's like this huge cloud of smoke over everybody's head at the top of the room yeah so crazy but you know different age different day obviously smoking was much more accepted but I just found that interesting that's, holy that's shit when, that, that's when fucking Hedorah from Godzilla versus a smog monster was born <laughs> hey I made out of your smoke. Ah, it's just smoke and ashes. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Where 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 else can we go from here? Obviously, you know, we got the finale. We've got that big, great scene, which to to this day, I still, you know, I, I have it up there with some of the better action sequences in cinema. I mean that that the last act of this film, so entertaining, lots of bullets, big old gunfire, lots of destruction and everything else. So, um, guys, why don't you go ahead and like take turns and tell me like, you know, as this movie is ending, like, you know, maybe on the first watch or any watch since then, like what kind of feelings does this movie leave you with? Is the social commentary heavy handed? Is it not? Bo obviously kind of started to address that earlier, but you know, like, tell me what kind of what's going through your head when you finish watching them. Eric. Like the first time I ever seen this movie, I was just shocked that Ben died. Like, like yeah, that's right. Like he was the main character. He was like the guy we followed from the fucking beginning of the movie. It's like Uh what? It was like I was just shocking. You know, uh, James Arnest. Fuck, I mean James Whitmore. Fucking, you know, uh, uh, I followed him ever since, and it's cool that I kind of watched this and the Relic at the same time. Like, holy shit, it's the dude from them and Route the Relic. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Yeah, you know, fucking, uh, yeah, it was fucking great. And, you know, uh, he was also in Shawshank Redemption. But uh, that's for another show. But, but, yeah, it was fucking shocking because it was like the first movie I ever seen where the guy that we followed from the beginning of the movie didn't make it. And I was kind of shocked by that. Yeah, that's true. I'm not saying, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was just agreeing with you. I, I can't remember of an example of someone that we followed through that much of the movie to just get taken out at least not at the very end, but you know, pre finale type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a really strange move. The first time I saw it, it's like, wait, what he did? Cause I, I think they even pull it off at the perfect moment too, because you don't suspect that he's going to, you know, you figure he's going to get that last minute save from one of his buddies. But yeah, um, I, I think they, I, I wasn't expecting it. I thought they, you know, it was a really shocking twist. Most of the time, yeah, I'm really just overwhelmed by all, like, the stunt work and just all, like, the, the choreography necessary to pull it off. Because you just have, like, ants popping up out of everywhere and, you know, bullets are flying, flamethrowers are going off. You know, <laughs> smoke grenades are just exploding all over the place. And, I mean, yeah, you know, the finale, it's, I mean, it's kind of hard to 
you know, it's I'll give it away, you know, because it's actually in the damn trailer. But, you know, they set them. They set the hive on fire and you see the ants burning in the background. So, yeah, mm-hmm. unfortunately, you know, that's a, you know, famous still in the trailers. Yep. I'll go ahead and say it, but um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I I do agree with Derek. I do think that they, you know, killing off the main character is kind of a weird, you know, I wasn't expecting it. I was completely t- taken away, taken aback by the first time I saw it. But mm-hmm. more recently, I just, uh, I kind of get overwhelmed by just the action going yeah. on and all the yeah. all the all the other you know the fun stuff i guess exactly now bo you mentioned that you were really young like five years old the first time that you saw this but do you remember kind of what that first viewing left you with when you were done oh yeah i mean it it blew me away because this movie kind of takes you to the point of an apocalypse and then like pulls back at the very end. And like you said, you know, you have main characters sacrificing themselves, uh, to save children and then dying horribly in the maws of these giant ants. And also I think it was the first time I'd seen a movie of this era that really, you know, kind of hit me right in the solar plexus where it was like, man, this is not, just like this isn't just good because I like monster movies. This is a good movie. And, um, yeah, I mean, to this day, when I watch this movie, that's kind of what I come away with is this idea that, you know, you almost don't need to qualify. Like Don was saying, you don't qualify this with, well, it's a good movie for the fifties or it's a good movie for a creature feature or whatever. It's like, this is legitimately, a great movie. And I, I, you know, I, I felt that way then when I go back and watch it now, I feel exactly the same way. Yeah. Um, where I, you know, the viewing of it is just a pure joy for me. I just love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all I can do is reiterate what everyone has said. This movie is an absolute joy for me. It is uh, comfort food at, really one of the most desired comfort foods for me creature features just kind of you know you can shut off your brain you could take it at face value but you can also kind of go down beneath the surface and pull out a lot of social commentary obviously the fear of nuclear annihilation being first and foremost in this film along with the unknown factors of what you know radiation and the atomic age can bring to us the final line in the movie is very poignant where, you know, Dr. Medford talks about, um, you know, man's desire to advance the atomic age, but but that that can in turn create an unknown world, a world that humanity is just not prepared for. And, you know, the, you could kind of call that the theme of this entire movie. You know, we're, we're not prepared for nine to 12 foot long giant ants to attack us out of nowhere. So. You know, you could almost call it a cautionary tale for a post-nuclear world, but, you know, obviously it is a creature feature. It is very obviously set in fiction, so, but there's still a lot to take out of this. And then a couple other minor things I wanted to bring up. I mentioned earlier how Warner Brothers was uh, a little hesitant on wanting to release this and how they almost sewed the script. That's really odd when you think about it, because in 1953, Warner Brothers' third highest grossing film of the year was a creature feature. 
Uh, I'm sure Don knows what it is because you reviewed it recently. It is uh, The Beast Absolutely. from 20,000 Fathoms. Yeah, uh-huh. the, that was the number three highest grossing movie for Warner Brothers, not, you know, across all films, but for Warner Brothers. And in 1954, guess what Warner Brothers third highest grossing film was? <laughs> of course it is them. So that's two years in a row that Warner Brothers' third highest grossing film is a creature feature. So why they would have any kind of hesitation to ever want to make these again is beyond me. Obviously, the deeper we go into this subgenre of creature feature, they do, you know, they tend to get a little cheesy in the late 50s, early 60s. They have a resurgence in the mid 60s with like alien stuff, the blob, the day the world should still, stuff like that. Um and then, of course, you know, huge resurgence with, you know, uh, computer effects and um, practical effects advancing the way it did in the 80s and, and, you know, late 70s and 80s and giving us great, great movies like American Werewolf in London and, you know, movies of the like that have, you know, beautiful creature effects in them. So, yeah, I mean, this this movie started them all. So kudos well, I mean, to you realize that it has. Uh-huh. I'm saying it it has come full circle because now the MonsterVerse is through Warner Brothers. Exactly, yes. They, they learned their lesson. They definitely learned their lesson. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if that's where you were going before I cut you off, but yeah. No, no, not at all, but thank you. No, that's awesome. I, I already mentioned that only three ants were um, made for this production. When they filmed that final scene, they had to do it in one take, obviously, because they're torching the only three models that they have. Yeah. Um, the models that they torched earlier in the film were just covered with paper mache. It was the same three ants, because like I said, they only made three, but they covered them in a very easily flammable paper material so that they could still reuse everything. But for that final scene, they literally did hit those things with um, real flamethrowers, like real military issue flamethrowers. So, yeah, they had they had to do that in one take. And ultimately, I, I think they did a great job with the one take they had. So. Good job. Um, That's a a real like once upon a time in Hollywood kind of thing where they're like, we get to keep the (laughs) flamethrower. Awesome. (laughs) I don't know if I mentioned it, but the sound effects of the ants, the famous, you know, the chirping sound effect that the ants make in this movie is actually a recording of Caribbean tree frogs in in local Caribbean countries like the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. The tree frogs uh, are called Puki. C-O-Q-U-I, cookie. That's the name of them because that's the noise that they make. They literally go cookie, cookie. Uh, and then what the filmmakers did is oh, they I made it cancel it. my honeymoon to Puerto Rico. Oh, oh, but they're awesome, though, at night to listen to them talk because they talk all night. If you're a light sleeper, you might not like it. But if you're a heavy sleeper, it'll put you to sleep because it's very rhythmic. So for, and it just sounds really cool. The first time that I actually held one of those frogs and it made the noise, it scared the shit out of me because it is loud. (laughs) It's a tiny little frog. I mean, it's maybe the size of like a 50 cent coin, but it sounds like it's got like a megaphone connected to its mouth. That fucker is loud as hell. So, um, so yeah, so basically they took that sound effect and they just kind of looped it over each other multiple times. And we have our ant sound effect. Um, This movie. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it was a joke, fucking, well, frogs, they're they're like the mafia of the Wild Kingdom, if you've ever seen the movie Frogs. Oh, that's right. (laughs) 1972, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. And then uh, the last fact that I have for you, oh, I've got two more, actually. 
this movie actually was nominated for an Oscar. It was nominated for a special effects Oscar. Uh, Dick Smith was uh, uh, nominated for the Oscar. They did not win, unfortunately. I tried to find who actually won the award, but for some reason, uh, the Oscar page only goes back to the 60s. So I, I figured not that big a deal. But yeah, uh, so this is a Oscar-nominated film. You can say that and not be a liar. So there you go. Just like the Suicide Squad, for some reason, we can call that an Oscar-nominated movie. Uh, that's upsetting. And not the anyway, good one. Not the good one, exactly. And oh, then the last... Uh, oh, go ahead. I, just a, a little bit of uh, additional trivia. What did win in 1954 for Best Special Effects? And I, I don't know that I disagree with this. Uh, it's the uh, War of the Worlds. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Love it. I mean... I, I think they did a better job with the actual creatures here, but I mean, War of the Worlds has so much more than just the aliens, you know, they're the, the spaceships and the attacks on the cities and everything. So, I, yeah, I, I could see why that would win. Makes sense. Total sense. And then the last little thing I have, which is really more of a silly little tidbit. This is for gamers who are into the Fallout games, um, specifically Fallout 3. Mm-hmm. If anybody has played Fallout 3, there is a breed of giant fire ant in the in the game uh there's a particular section of the world that's just marauding with all of these giant fire ants uh in the game they are called those (laughs) i just i just found that funny you know obviously copyright can't call them them they are called those those i liked it (laughs) mant that's pretty good Oh, man. So, yeah, folks, that's it. That is our feature review of 1954's Them. If you're still listening to us and you have not checked this out, by all means, do yourself a favor and check it out. It is available for $12.99 on uh, Blu-ray on Amazon. I'm sure you could probably find it cheaper elsewhere, and I'm not sure on VOD. I think the last time I saw... It was two ninety nine on VOD. I'm not sure if it's streaming anywhere for free. I didn't find it anywhere in my search anyway. Probably but not since it's Warner Brothers. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe it's on HBO Max because a lot of Warner Brothers is on there. I'd say check it out if you have HBO Max, but I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, that is them. So, Bo, thank you so much for joining us, being historically our first guest ever. No one can ever take that away from you. <laughs> thank you uh, so yeah, much. I, <laughs> I mean, do I get a plaque or something? I mean, uh, uh, I'll be sending you a medal in the mail. Okay, well, yeah. that, uh, first guest that, ever. <laughs> that that's not nothing. Um, uh, just also to confirm, this is not on HBO Max, which is no. a real bummer. But yeah, I mean, for if you've never seen it, I would almost say like just do yourself a favor and buy the Blu-ray of this thing because a, a sub fifteen dollars for one of the great horror movies of all time is not going to kill you. But yeah. also, if you've never seen it, just do yourself a favor, spend the three bucks and yeah. get yourself a, a little them in your life because you are not good. Like everybody I know that's ever seen this, even if you don't like creature features or whatever immediately you're like oh yeah no them them's a, a really rocking movie <laughs> yeah. i'll just say this the fact that we never even once decided to go into negatives we just spent the entire show on positives <laughs> Are yeah. negatives? that's what i'm saying is that the fact that i don't even remember us even <laughs> saying there's a negative involved in the film yeah let's just say that yeah 
it's it's damn near flawless. I mean, like I said, 1954, they gave us pretty much the perfect, you know, creature feature for North America. Obviously, there's this little country on the other side of the world that also gave us a cool little creature feature in 1954. But we'll discuss that another day. I'm almost positive. <laughs> so uh, before we get out of here, Bo, why don't you tell the folks where they can hear you? I'm sure this will be the first time some people are hearing your voice. Let us know what else you got. Yeah, so I uh, I actually run the website, the LegionPodcast.com, where you can hear a lot of shows, including Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, which uh, at least some of the people here are on that show as well. Um, but uh, my own show uh, is called The Dark Parade, and um, it is a weekly show that looks at uh, horror movies, uh, hopefully from a somewhat uh, informational point of view. Um, where, you know, we try to get into themes and, and discuss a little bit of trivia about the movies as well as, uh, discuss, uh, some pretty good stuff. Um, under that banner, you will also hear bonus shows, uh, one called the heart of horror, which is myself and Kate Pollock talking about movies that have love or romance, uh, as an element. And it is really just an excuse to get, t- uh, Kate to tell stories about her dating life. <laughs> which is very funny and and occasionally tragic They're based um, on her life. Yeah, it, it's it's the best. Like it, it's just you drop a nickel in Kate and then I can shut up and let her do the thing. <laughs> and um and also uh another bonus uh thing that I do on Dark Parade is called Found Footage Fool uh which is me trying to come to terms with my love of found footage movies and try to apply some criteria as to what makes a good found footage movie and evaluate them in that context. And, uh, yeah, so I do, that's all the horror stuff. I also do a show with Duncan McLeish called Duncan about come correct, where we have been watching the slasher series for what seems like about the past five years. Um, (laughs) and then, and then lastly, I do a show called pick six movies, uh, which is me and uh, uh, my friend Chad Cooper. We pick six movies uh, for every season that we do built around a theme. We are currently on a season, uh, season 18, called Christmas Time is Here, where we talk about movies that have are Christmas adjacent, is how we put it, uh, where they are, they are movies that have Christmas as maybe a vague element. Um, and uh, just recently we did uh, While You Were Sleeping, which was the first romantic comedy we ever did, uh, which is a movie about a bunch of grifters taking advantage of someone in a coma. And then uh, the next movie we're going to do is Batman Returns. So uh, <laughs> it's uh, that, and yes, and that sounds like a lot. And it is. So uh, if you want to check any of those out, those are available on any podcatcher that you use uh dark parade for horror pick six movies for me and Chad Duncan and Bo come correct. If you want to hear uh, me and Duncan just like our souls wither in our bodies as we talk about slasher season three. Awesome. <laughs> I gave up halfway through season two. I think I, I was surprised I got through season one, honestly, but it, uh, man, it got worse. It got worse. Like season three is legit. Just trash. Oh, and that's too bad. And I, it really is, and and I look just just to spill a little tea here. Um, so Duncan and I were doing we did season two, and we were like season two was bad. We have heard from other people season three is worse. The whole reason we're doing this is to get to season four, which David Cronenberg stars in. 
Mm-hmm. And that's the whole reason we wanted to watch it in the first place. And uh, I said, let's just skip season three and go straight to season four. And he was like, no, 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 we got to do, we're completionists at heart. So mm-hmm. we got, we got to do this. We got to, <laughs> got to watch season three. And we're now halfway through season three. And both of us regret that decision. <laughs> so it's, it, it's a real something, man. I yeah. Mean, at- as podcasters, I think we've all made some fairly poor decisions. Derek and I recently uh, volunteered, of all things, to review Halloween movies. And lo and behold, me and Derek got two of the worst ones. So, yeah, interesting. But at the same time, though, talking about stuff that you hate, I tend to find really enjoyable. Um, Derek and Don will tell you about me venting on Fresh Cuts periodically when we do a movie that I just can't stand. And mind you, Bo, I, I hate shitting on people's art. I don't. I appreciate all filmmakers. You know, they, they are they do something that I could never do. I can't make a film, but they can. But there are some movies out there that are so infuriating that they raise my blood pressure to a point where I got to walk out of that theater or I'm going to have a heart attack. So... Um, luckily it doesn't happen very often, but I always kind of use that as a defense for volunteering to do bad movies. I, <laughs> just this week, I know Derek and Don already know, uh, I'm going to be reviewing Jack Frost two for Christmas on cut to the chase, which sounds awful. I've never actually seen it. I've seen oh, it. Oh, that's actually a lot of fun. That's, I, that's a lot of fun. I'm hoping it's fun because obviously it is stupidly cheesy. Hey, did you see what I fucking got? I saw what you got, yeah. Wait, yours is better than mine, wasn't it? What'd you get? It's a, I got the new fucking Disney Plus Home Alone movie. Oh, oh wow. 21, yikes. Oh, good luck, brother. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I, I've got wind chill for that one, which I've never uh, seen. But yeah. it's got That's, a, That's yeah. a good movie. Wind chill is really good. I like that. Wind chill is uh. really good. You got lucky. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, that's how I felt. I, even though I haven't seen it yet, I was like, oh, a legitimate movie. That sounds great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, folks. So that is episode three. We're going to go go ahead and head on out of here. Once again, thank you both so much for being our first guest. This was an absolute yeah, this treat. This was a blast, man. Yeah. Yeah, thank yeah. you guys so much for having me, man. I like again this. It, this is the kind of cross pollination I love, where like I, I hopefully we have been on each other's shows to talk about stuff that's fun to talk about. There and, you go. And that's the best. Yeah, hell, we just uh, talked about magic magician detectives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Derek was on the Night of the Demons three. Oh god. And, and, yeah, which is not a good movie. And then. <laughs> Don uh, came on for Night of the Demons, the the remake, which is better than Night of the Demons 3. I will say that without reservation. Okay, I can go with that. I don't think I've seen the third one, right? No, I have not. Yeah. It's it's tough to find. Like, I had ordered the DVD. It's not on any of the streaming services. And, hmm. um, yeah, it, and, but there's a reason for that. Like, it, it, is, it is the reason there wasn't a Night of the Demons 4. <laughs> Not a very high demand. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, on behalf of Donna Nelly and Derek B., I am Mr. Venom, thanking you for joining us on episode three. Hopefully, you'll be able to join us for episode four. I would announce what the feature review will be, but we have no idea, as opposed to last month where I thought it was going to be Santa Jaws. Santa Jaws. Uh- Oh, God, are, were, were we serious? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> what hath Jaws wrought? Check the, check oh, the no. chat, guys. Oh, no! <laughs>
<laughs> All right, folks. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next month on Creature Comforts. Take care. Later. <laughs> <laughs> I need to dance. Come on. Now.